Who knew that on March 9th, 1959, when the Barbie doll officially debuted at a toy convention in New York City, that it would continue to be a billion dollar brand and we would still be obsessed with it in the year 2023. Created by Ruth Handler and named after her kids, Barbara and Kenneth, Barbie has seen many controversies, lawsuits, and opinions, and yet Barbie is still a staple in many homes around the world to this day. So much so that now we have this Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach phenomenon that is getting everyone excited all over again. The Barbie movie is hilarious and nostalgic, but it's incredibly existential. It dives deep into what it means to be a woman, a mother, a daughter, and a professional, but it also touches on the male stereotype. Will we be able to unpack all of these themes and messages in the film? Let's see how we do. I'm joined by some epic Kens and Barbies here. We have Steve Norton, Chris Utley, and Jolie Featherstone. Uh, Jolie, what did you think about the Barbie movie? Well, um, thank you, first of all, for that wonderful intro, Jules. Um, I think it comes as a surprise to no one that I truly, truly enjoyed the Barbie movie. I went into it having very high expectations, and and I'm happy to say that the film met all of those expectations. Um, I really, really enjoyed it. <laughs> Steve, what about you? Well, <laughs> as a massive Barbie fan... Um, Is I that no sarcasm? Problem. A little bit. Okay. Uh, although when I was a kid, I was that guy that would play with, I I, I, hung, I played with my friend's Barbies and that was our thing and that was fine. But I had no expectations uh, going in whatsoever. It's so much fun. And I didn't expect it. Now, I, I heard it was good. So it's not like I went in there thinking it wasn't, thinking it was going to be garbage or anything, but not at all. But uh, I very much trust Greta Gerwig um, as well. But I, I, it, it's it's funny and it's smart and it's everything that I hoped it would be. And I I dread the fact that they're turning it into a franchise. But I do. I, I was thrilled with it. So was it ever not a franchise? Well, talking about the Barbie brand in general, or the I mean, it's a I didn't I will say this I didn't realize how tapped in the Barbie brand really was. Like, I knew it was still a thing, mm -hmm. but I, I mean, I, I just didn't realize that she was big, still big. I had no idea. Yeah. She is uh, still big, and and that's the thing, you know. As the world progresses, so does Barbie. Truly, the way that it was in the movie, it was, you know, the real world and Barbie integrating in the real world. And that's how it is here. If you go to Ripley's Aquarium, there's a scuba diving Barbie in the gift shop. You know, she's everywhere. <laughs> Chris, what did you think about it? I thought it was brilliant. Absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Barbie land in the real world and everything that happened and transpired after that moment I thought that again I just can't stop saying brilliant because it was but and we'll get to this in the progression of this call it was the absolute kick in the pants that toxic masculinity needs in the world right now and I'll expand on that later. Okay, yeah. Toxic masculinity is certainly um, 
certainly a big topic in this film and the patriarchy and whatnot. But I really want to start off by chatting about the diversity in this film. Uh, the Barbie brand in real life didn't really start diversifying until about 20 years after they began. Uh, but the Barbies and Kens in this film were so diverse. There were multiple races represented. There were also non-stereotypical Barbies, different shapes and sizes. There was even a trans actress playing a Barbie. Um, so, you know, it, it was really quite groundbreaking. The first plus size Barbie didn't even come out until 2016 in real life. So, uh, which was pretty uh, pretty late in my opinion, but I just wanted to uh, to get your opinions on the diversity that was represented in this film. I was impressed by it. I think you could tell that there was a, an actual effort made um, to depict. I, I I didn't realize it was 2016. I thought it was about 10 years earlier than that, but I know that um, the the Barbie brand has has tried to diversify not only skin color but also physical shape uh much more and i i think they finally have one who's in a wheelchair to get even get yes. as as well yeah um i i just i i mean i i could sense it and i i thought that it was a wise move it, not unlike the little mermaid you know you could sense the the effort that was put into into that i don't know what others think what did you think about it, Jolie? Um, I was really happy to see it. It was it was um, it was refreshing, and it was also uplifting. I think to be able to see um, Barbies and Kens uh, of different cultures, of different body types, of different abilities being represented, um, it was really exciting um, to finally see that on screen. Um, because, as you mentioned, Jules, like Mattel was quite late uh society was quite late i would say in embracing um barbies uh that represented different uh and kens that represented different types and looks of women um <clears throat> because up and up until like recently i think there was this mentality of like oh barbie needs to be um you know very specific look and it's sort of very much um it it, it both prescribes and is prescribed to uh, the kind of dominant sort of, uh, I would say, uh, I like hitherto like beauty ideals, I would say um, wrongful beauty ideals. I don't think there should be only one ideal, um, but it's always been kind of um, both uh, subjected to that, but also itself uh, promotes that. And that was one of the reasons why growing up, I really actually really disliked Barbie. I first of all, didn't, didn't really love dolls in general, I thought, as a kid that they were boring <laughs> and Barbie on top of being a doll, which I already thought was boring, um, had really promoted this very narrow view of femininity. So I really disliked Barbie as a kid um, and really didn't uh, enjoy that, that whole franchise. But uh, my sister absolutely loved Barbie. So I was really excited to see this film with her. Um, and we both, I think, had a really uplifting moment going to the film and seeing um, diversity in Barbies and Kens, and also diversity in thought as well, um, you know, kind of showing the, the beauty of Barbie Land, but also the beauty of the real world too, in all of its, <laughs> in all of its mess and all of its problems there's um kind of a, a care and compassion for the real world as well so 
yeah, I, I thought it was really refreshing and it and it made me um, just tr truly uh, enjoy the film experience even more. Absolutely. Yeah, I loved I really loved how the film um, put such an importance on emotion and emotional intelligence and uh, it was okay. You know, the Barbies and the Kens, everything was so good all the time. And that there was really just one emotion. Um, and then when they started integrating with the real world, they, they started to cry and they started to feel really big feelings. And um, I think that's sort of kind of what, what happens with children, right? They feel these big feelings. And they don't really understand them. And they don't really know how to, how to handle them, but it's okay. And they learn that, you know what, it's okay to cry. And it feels really, really good. So um, yeah, incredibly um, just, just great with the diversity in thought as well. Um, but Chris, did you want to speak on the diversity aspect as well? I mean, um, you pretty much nailed it. I agree with all thoughts. I like the multi representations of the Barbies and the Kins and uh, Barbie Land. Shout out to them for making Issa Rae the Supreme Court Justice Barbie. That was mm. cool. <laughs> so, yeah. Amazing. So, Julie, what, what you were talking about in terms of Barbie promoting these unfair beauty standards, I think that that was kind of. I mean, it's always been a really big topic in the world of Barbie. And I think that, um, I think that it came up again when the, the movie started to, to come about, you know, I was really, really torn on if I should take my nine-year-old daughter to see it. And I was Googling it and, you know, normally it's pretty easy to say yes or no to films. Um, but, you know, she's getting to that age, so you never know. But with Barbie, there was a real kind of um people were really torn on it and i would look at sites and then I, I would i would need to kind of look into what the site actually is and who they are and what they represent and it was funny a lot of really sort of um more christian sites for example were were saying absolutely not don't see it don't take your daughters to see it um but I, it, it's tough because i think that a lot of people took it at face value and it is just so much deeper than that. And I'm actually, I did end up taking my daughter to it. I am very, very glad that I took my daughter to it because there are so many incredible um, uh, messages for women in that film. And then as a mother-daughter pair, I think it was really special to kind of experience that together. Um, but I don't know, what do you all think about if in general, Barbie is a bad female representation? I can jump in on it because I guess I the men I, are waiting. The men are sitting back. <laughs> like, I have I have a lot of feelings about this topic. Hit me. So apologies. Um, but yeah, no, it, it's a great question, Jules. And 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 quite truthfully, this film really did shift my perspective on Barbie. Um, Barbie as as a doll and a toy, but also the idea of Barbie and the, the concept of Barbie, um, which I think was really interesting because as, as you mentioned, like the film is so layered, you can take it at face value and kind of see Margot Robbie's character as just kind of a, a brought to life doll, but it's really about the idea and the concept of Barbie and the world of Barbie and, and the imagination that, that brought this character in this world to life. Um, so I think, uh, yeah, like growing up, um, I 
had I, I, a lot of negative kind of feelings around Barbie and I felt like it really did truly promote um, a very narrow view of femininity not only from you know a physical appearance standpoint but also just from like an opportunity and a lifestyle standpoint you know it was very um you know whenever you think of Barbie commercials or the toys themselves it all seems very sort of like heteronormative like the Barbie dream house and she lives there with Ken and you have the white picket fence and you know, maybe you have the Barbie convertible or the Barbie camper van. Um, you know, it's it's really always felt that it only showed kind of one way to be a woman or one way to live a life. Um, and that's just not something that that I vibe with. <laughs> and um I it kind of made me sad at times because I grew up uh with um, you know, obviously with a lot of other uh, girls my age and younger than me and when they were playing Barbie, I would even notice how they played and how like the lifestyles that they would build for their characters of Barbie as they were playing. It was so contained. Like it was very much this kind of Barbie Ken lifestyle. Um, you know, it was very, I would say, um, it, it was just very one track, uh, you know, oh, you got married to Ken and maybe you have a cool career, but then, you know, it's it's all very like one thing and there's not really, uh, it never felt encouraged to explore different uh, lifestyles or different futures with Barbie. Um, up until recently in the last, I guess, yeah, almost 10 years now, I've started to see um, Mattel and Barbie kind of expand their line and we have Barbie's, um, of different body types of different cultures of uh you know we now have barbie who lives in a wheelchair you know that was not represented before what does her life look like you know or what does a young girl who uses a wheelchair how does she get to um envision her future if she doesn't have a tangible kind of way to express that or to have that imaginative play so i would say in the last 10 years my perspective on barbie has changed a little bit and i am happy that they are looking um or trying to uh introduce different different barbies and different representation um for young girls and women um even as a company i understand that they've started to um donate financially towards uh, women and girls in stem which i think you know that's that's a great thing to do but um for me it felt like i was still very kind of cautious around them i'm like okay well you know 10 years of good I don't know if that erases like 30 years um, not so good um but then uh and I and I was joking with Steve because he said he missed the 10 minutes of the movie and I said honestly I, the first 10 minutes for me shifted my whole perspective on Barbie um and Steve have you seen the first 10 minutes yet I don't want to give any I missed the first 10 minutes of the do you come on man you know better <laughs> How did that happen? Yeah, mute yourself, please. <laughs> I missed the first 10 minutes because I saw it at the drive-in and the lineup at the snack bar was really <laughs> long. That's it. <laughs> I give you so much credit, though, for supporting a local drive-in. Definitely. I saw it at the drive-in, too, but I didn't miss a frame. <laughs> <laughs> no excuses. That's great. I, I, I went and saw Arby. That's what I saw. I just saw Arby. That's it. <laughs> <laughs> Wow. Just missed the first, <laughs> <the> first part. <laughs> but talking about the structure of the film, I thought it was so cool, the layers of it, because you have Barbie Land and then the real world and then Mattel. 
and the creator of Barbie, like the layers of it. It was almost like different portals to different worlds. It was wild. I, I thought it was, I, I'm just, I'm very impressed at how they were able to uh, tie it all together. It was very cool. I, yeah. I like that they didn't try to over explain it. Like they said, oh, yeah. well, how do we get there? That's right. Uh, it's yeah. sort of like, <laughs> it doesn't matter. This isn't that type of movie. Just start rollerblading and it will appear. That's, that's all you do. Exactly. It, it does. It forces your mind to play and it forces us to, I think, take a bit of, um, you know, that uh, suspension of disbelief that we would when we perhaps were kids and, and playing with Barbies or whatever toy it was that you that you love to play with. Um, it did kind of force you to have that mentality, which I think was so good in service to the story. It helped us, I think, better kind of empathize with Barbie when she enters the real world and she's sort of in awe of the beauty of it and the complexity of it, but also really saddened by some of, you know, the negativity that she sees and the hardness in that world um, and kind of like the skepticism in that world. Um, yeah, I, I loved that so much. And I think I give a lot of credit to Greta Gerwig. I will, I will always shout her out. She was one of the reasons why I was very excited for Barbie. Um, and a friend of mine made a good point that um, she adapted, um, Little Women into a film, which is an iconic um, piece of, you know, cultural history for a lot of um, North American women. And now she's done that with Barbie. And in both cases, she kind of took it and gave more ownership and gave more of a platform to the original creator's ideas with Little Women. She kind of changed the ending to better fit what Louisa May Alcott actually wanted to write, but wasn't permitted to at the time. Um, and same with Barbie, I think she gave a bit of a voice to Ruth Handler um, to give a, uh, to highlight her reasons for creating Barbie and wanting to base it off her daughter and give her daughter and other young girls of that generation an opportunity to have a toy where they could imagine and play um, and kind of like think of futures for themselves uh, as grown women. So yeah, I, I give a big shout out to, to her for bringing a, a really unique spin on it. Yeah, I mean, I played with Barbies as a kid. Um, I, I don't think I was like particular, particularly damaged by playing with Barbies in any way. Did I have self-esteem issues as a kid? Yeah, of course I did. Do I think it was caused by Barbie? No, but I guess I, I don't think I thought that deeply about my toys when I was younger. I just kind of like, I, I liked it. I played with it. It is what it is, but yeah, absolutely. It was very much, I think when I was playing with Barbies, it was very much the stereotypical, like, let's get a house. Let's have a husband. Let's play house. You know what I mean? Play family, this and that, which is fine. I mean, that's still, that's still present to this day in a lot of um, people, a lot of children's play because it's you know it's the future that that's what they're seeing at home typically right so anyway putting that aside I'm very interested to see the guys opinions on Barbie as as a, a doll a woman a, a a female representation and if you think that it was um, bad or not Chris do you want to go first you want me to go? The thought honestly never crossed my mind if I'm just being blunt and honest with you because I was raised as your typical American boy. Barbie's over there with the girls. I had my Steve Austin's $6 million man um, action figure 
So if you want to go into a conversation, look at that. Um, for girls, they're called dolls. For men, they're called action figures. But we never got Ken, but Ken was never advertised to us bros as an action figure because that whole Barbie world was decidedly feminine. And we didn't touch it. We didn't breach it. We didn't say nothing. We just kind of let the girls do their thing and we did our thing with our G.I. Joes and Kung Fu grips and all that kind of thing. So, um, just being honest with you, um, just never thought about it. And I will confess observationally that in the circles that I've been in upcoming, as the movie was getting closer to release, um, I'm a moderator of a um, Facebook group that's dedicated to movie theaters, and we pretty much track what's coming out at the movies and what's um, showing at all the big flashy screen formats and blah, 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 blah. And the men in my group were very, very, very dismissive about the notion of a Barbie movie anyway, because they're like, nobody gives a care. This is ridiculous. It's going to flop. Because no, that iconic figurine is not enough to sustain and hold down an audience. Um, they were just laughing at themselves egotistically. Ha, ha, ha. It's going to crash and burn. And when I look at their, um, and I'm going to call it sexist, but it's sexist attitudes, it's all just regenerative in my mind of how we were raised and groomed as boys. Barbie is a girl's thing. G.I. Joe and other stuff is a guy's thing. So never the twain shall meet. Yeah, I... Oh, sorry. Go ahead, Jules. No, go for it. Um, I wasn't interested in it until I saw the first trailer. I admit it. Um, I didn't think it was going to flop. I didn't think it was going to change the world either um but you know i it's interesting because in terms like i and i admit growing up i didn't really think about barbie as a toxic influence i just thought of it as as a doll now we think about these things differently than we did when i was a kid um and i don't know anybody that got a barbie figure and you know, felt of it, felt it as a heteronormative, you know, oppressive thing that, you know, like you said, it's just, you see, you see families, you see Ken is an accessory to Barbie, which they tackled beautifully in this film. Um, but from a male perspective, what I can say is I did think a lot about the shows and toys I grew up with. So my GI Joe, I didn't, I'm, I, I wasn't, I wouldn't say that my GI Joe taught me what it meant to be male or anything. I wouldn't say that, but that was, you know, that was my world. I will say Optimus Prime growing up, you know, he was, he was a male figure that I had such high respect for that as a kid at like eight years old, I was like, I wanted to be like Optimus Prime. In, it's in the, the voice. Way. It's the voice, but it's it's more than the it's voice. The voice. <laughs> the voice is great, but it's like the way he handled his team, the way that everybody looked up to him. There was respect. 
So I can't because of the voice. Because because of the voice. <laughs> it's a great voice. I'm not gonna lie. But I can't say that that these things don't have an effect. Is what I'm saying, because I know for the things I had, it did. It absolutely did. Now I grew up. My my best friends were girls. You know, uh, I had an older sister. We had I I we so Barbies were around. I would play with the Barbies because that's I had friends and this is what we would do. Um. But we didn't. I didn't put a lot of thought into what the Barbies represented at the time, and I will. I will say this too. One of the things I loved about this film is how, and I want to be careful how I say this, but how naive Barbie is to her effect on the world. Like when she gets there, you know, she's like, "We've changed the world." I, you can thank me now. You know, they're saying this. It's me. It's Barbie. I've changed everything, and these teenage girls just rip her to shreds with their lenses. And again, new lenses, new generations viewed things differently. And, and I thought that's perfect because Barbie uh, in this film thinks that she's doing the right thing. You talk about, well, she has these different professions. She, it is interracial. She's done all these things. See, We've perfected everything. It's fine. Everything's fine now. But when you get on the ground, they're like, what are you talking about? That is not what happened. And I thought that was very sharply, very sharply done. Really well written. And I don't know if this is, um, you know, an internet conspiracy theory or if this is rooted in the truth, but those four teenagers who, you know, rip Barbie to shreds with, with the main teenager, I think her name is Sasha, um, apparently those four are representations of Bratz dolls who were Barbie's first and main, um, competition in the, in the real world. So, uh, I thought that was really interesting. Something, something for you to Google a little bit later. Oh, that's fascinating. I had never heard that. Yeah. That, well, that makes sense. Yeah, and apparently the names line up too. I don't remember the other names. Sasha, maybe Chloe, I can't recall. But um, yeah, I, I wouldn't... I gotta look at IMDb real quick and look. Yeah, get it going. Um, okay, so let's... Um, I just, I, can't, I keep thinking about what Jolie said about about this movie forcing your... Or sorry, I guess, I guess it was the Barbie dolls forcing your mind to play. And I feel like the movie was doing that too. And it just really like brings up the nostalgia and it makes me feel really like, I don't know, it's, it's hard sometimes, you know, when you're a kid, you have that imagination, you're playing all the time. And then when you're an adult and, and you know, now I have kids. So, and I'm, I have to like almost put myself in that mindset to like play and use my imagination. And so it was kind of fun to just be there and have it in front of me and just feel that sort of, I don't know. There's just something about it. It was really special. <laughs> um, so why don't we dive into another really big topic in this film, which is the patriarchy, how the patriarchy is represented, toxic masculinity, male stereotypes, all that kind of fun stuff. Uh, Chris, why don't I throw it over to you? How did you feel like the patriarchy, so to speak, was represented in this film? Let's rip the band-aid off and go straight into what I am declaring is 
for this very, very short time period that it is the monologue of the century by America Ferrara's character. Yes. I almost that tried. was the whole thing right there. I don't have the quotes. I'm, if someone wants to pull and pull up what she said, feel free to do so while I'm talking. But um, as she got into all of those specifics and all of those different levels and dynamics of things and whatnot, um, backstory for me, like I said, I saw that drive in with my 14-year-old daughter and one of her best friends. And so as um, Ferrara's character is just going through all of the things and sharing and speaking her truth and speaking all of the truth coming from the sisterhood, I could hear these 14-year-old girls just clap, 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 clap as they were sitting behind me, you know, um, as the whole thing was going. And I just sat there like, wow. Like, this right here is the biggest do burn in history. There's nobody, nobody, nobody who could defend a single word that was shared and not a single word that was uttered in that whole entire sentiment. Did you pull it up, Julia? I have it. You want me to read it? Yes, please. It is literally impossible to be a woman. You are so beautiful and so smart, and it kills me that you don't think that you're good enough. Like we have to always be extraordinary, but somehow we always do, uh, we're always doing it wrong. You have to be thin, but not too thin. And you can never say you want to be thin. You have to say you want to be healthy, but also you have to be thin. You have to have money, but you can't ask for money because that's crass. You have to be a boss, but you can't uh, be mean. You have to lead, but you can't squash other people's ideas. You're supposed to love being a mother, but don't talk about your kids all the damn time. You have to be a career woman, but uh, but also always be looking out for other people. You have to answer for men's bad behavior, which is insane. But if you point that out, you're accused of complaining. You're supposed to stay pretty for men, but not so pretty that you tempt them too much or uh, that you threaten other women because you're supposed to be a part of the sisterhood. But always stand out and always be grateful, but never forget that the system is rigged. So find a way to acknowledge that because also... Um, but also be grateful. You have to never get old, never be rude, never show off, never be selfish, never fall down, never fail, never show fear, never get out of line. It's too hard. It's too contradictory and nobody gives you a medal or says thank you. And it turns out in fact that not only are you doing everything wrong, but also everything is your fault. I'm just so tired of watching myself and every single other woman tie herself into knots so that people will like us. And if all of that is also true for a doll just representing women, then I don't even know. See, there's not much you can say about it. It's just, it's everything. There is. Yes, there is. I'm about to. Because what I'm about to say is who made up that standard? Who made up that standard? Mm-hmm. There is only one correct answer to that. And that answer was represented by the cars that I saw trickling out of that drive-in movie theater a good 15, 20 minutes before the movie was over. Wow. 
Wow. And I told my daughter and her friends, like, watch how many cars start leaving because say like, when you see them, those are the dudes that that monologue was about. And it's not really in, let me frame this right. It's dead wrong that that standard has been put upon you, but it's even worse the fact that generation after generation after generation, even me as a black man, we all have been groomed within huge pockets of not just American culture, but a lot of it is global culture, if we're being honest to put those levels of standards and to put that unnecessary weight and burden on our sisterhood throughout the world. And the grooming continues and the grooming continues and the grooming continues. And those cars that pretty much said, bump this, I'm leaving. I'm like, yeah, you're just re-perpetuating the whole thing. Go get your healing, bro. Go to the light. Yeah, it's absolutely wild. And it's something that I'm really, you know, I've always tried to push against it. Um, but it's it's hard, you know what I mean? And it's so kind of unspoken a lot of the time. And if you want to advance in your career, it, it's funny, even like, you know, being a mother and having a career, that's quite an interesting balance. You, you guys are damned if you do. You guys are damned if you don't. Mm -hmm. You guys are damned, period no matter what you do. Yeah. You're just damned in this um, society of patriarchal rule that many keep telling us is God's design and God's order. There's a whole nother can of worms. Yeah, that was that was one thing that I that I was quite surprised with in, you know, previous churches that I've been a part of, you know, just, just hearing about some of the sexism happening behind the scenes that you would never even, you would never even imagine for, for why, you know what I mean? Women aren't meant for that role. Oh, that's hilarious. You're not allowed to preach. Can't wear your clothes the way that you want to wear them. Not too tight, but not too loose. And I won't even go through and speak your list for you because it's your truth and I don't even think it's proper for me to even do it. But all the things, all the things, all the things was just wrapped up into that. And that was um, Greta Garrick and Nora, Noah Baumbach. They wrote the script. That was their words. Speaking to how again, generation after generation, that has been perpetuated upon um, society. And having done my own work personally to recognize and to walk away from that, I affirm it 100%. No cap, no shade. Email screenfish if you want to, bro. I really don't care. No, don't do that. It's the truth. <laughs> Dang, Steve. <laughs> <laughs> Well, let's get um, a female perspective on the the patriarchy. Uh, Jolie, how did you feel that it was represented in the film? Oh, um, it's a big question. Um, I thought 
you know, they did a, a really good job of being honest, um, but not being a downer, um, which, and you know what, sometimes you need a downer. Uh, sometimes you need to speak truth to power and that's not always comfortable. Um, and I definitely think, uh, like those people that left the movie, you mentioned Chris early, they were probably not able to sit in that discomfort of seeing something, um, getting, you know, brought to light in a way that, or, or, or a topic that doesn't normally get brought to light in, in such a, in such a blatant way. Um, yeah, I thought it was, uh, again, I just think they were, uh, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach were just brilliant in how they approached it, staying honest and staying real, but um, still injecting humor um, as well. We see it in how, um, you know, they portray the Mattel company um, and the board of directors, um, and of course, how they portray just the the real world in general. Um, when Ken kind of goes on his own walk in the in the real world, and he's just like amazed that he gets a certain baseline level of respect because of the body that he exists in. Um, and Except for when you got to the hospital <laughs> and met the actual doctor. Yeah. Mm, that was interesting <laughs> you are talking to a doctor <laughs> yes yes very oh fascinating goodness. yeah no I, I I think they did a really good job of being honest and, and being real but you know still keeping a, a a tone of humor and still um you know staying true to to the tone of the story while while being real yeah, and you know what? I thought it was interesting because obviously Barbie Land is a, a hyper exaggeration, but when they show the real world and how things are more run by men, it was very realistic. It wasn't hyper exaggerated, like here's the female version, here's the male version. It was real, you know? It was the men in the suits and the women are the secretaries and da da da. So, um, so I thought that was fascinating how they didn't kind of take it over the top. So it was, it was believable because it is real. Um, Steve, but they kind of did though with Will Ferrell being his silly Will Ferrell self about it. Mm -hmm. um, I think that was a caricature of any given CEO and his board of followers. You know, that's the only thing that fell flat for me. Yeah, what what would you have preferred to see in that uh, in that boardroom? So I understand than... that their need to try to bring a comedic element and tapping into Will Ferrell, Will Ferrell doing it. I mean, because he literally had the exact same part in the Lego movie, also by Warner Brothers. You know, same dynamic, same pretty much level of flow. So I just thought it was incredibly predictable. I thought that. Um, Frankly, another actor would have been better than that instead of just Wolf Will Ferrell, the cliche in that spot. Yeah, that's interesting. I, I never really thought about what I, I thought about how incredible the cast was. And I guess I, you know, I included Will Ferrell in that list because he's just a big name and he's great. Um, but that's very, very interesting. He truthfully didn't seem to bring anything extra special to the role. Um which I'm sure was sort of by design because he's he's like the the mean CEO and I'm saying mean in quotations right but um yeah I guess they could have taken that role in a bit of a different direction 
and maybe it might have added a little bit more value to the film. But yeah, I, I have. Really I mean, to really it. just, I think even just to put a level of gravitas on the whole ideology of Barbie and how she's a cash cow, that would have been a much more interesting take to me. Mm-hmm. And how you know who you are and what you mean to Mattel, you know, and we got Hot Wheels over here for the guys, but we got Barbie here for you, you know, the whole craftsman, that whole manipulate manipulation type thing that us lockhead, lockhead guys have been known to do to our sisters and girlfriends and wives in order to try to persuade them in 99% of the time it backfires, you know. Right. I think that head trip re- type thing would have been a better situation to see how Barbie would navigate her way through that. But she sort of kind of did once they realized that, when she realized that they were trying to strap her into the box mm-hmm. and she broke free. But I just wish they had not played that just so Will Ferrell-esque silly. That's only my that's a minor nitpick. That's the only nitpick about the movie that I have. That's a good point because I wonder um, with Mattel wanting to get more into like film production and obviously you know they had to give approval I'm sure on on quite a lot of the film given that it's their IP. I wonder if some of those creative choices of having the CEO being um, you know sort of sort of like goofy and ineffectual in a way um, I'm sure that was in or I wonder in some ways if that was to kind of appease Mattel in a way oh well we don't want to show our CEO too badly so why don't we just make him kind of goofy and kind of funny um and sort of innocent as opposed to you know like you said Chris I think that would have been a really interesting take if they actually you know brought a lens to a CEO that is I would say more true to life and that they are very much about the bottom line they're very much yeah, about I think Brian Facebook. Cox in suggest in succession that would have been awesome. Yeah. You totally hit the nail on the head. They definitely just didn't want to didn't want to be represented as the evil corporation. A hundred percent. You're absolutely right. So Will Farrell, you know, he's a warm and fuzzy in everyone's hearts. <laughs> That's hilarious. Yeah, I know you're totally right. Um, so one thing I found really interesting, Steve, I want to give you an opportunity to talk about the the sort of the male, male sort of you know, perspective on, on the patriarchy, but I'm a uh, boy. What? I'm a boy. (laughs) I'm a real boy. (laughs) Boy. In that movie. Um, So uh, one thing I thought was really interesting is how, um, you know, they, they saw both Barbie kind of owning everything and then Ken owning everything but really, it's it's fascinating how they they actually show you how um, men were taken advantage of when Barbie was in charge, almost right. Um, and I, they don't they don't put a lot of weight into it, but that's they they definitely um, how do I how do I articulate this? You know, men were just the the sidekick, the plaything. They didn't really hold any purpose or value in Barbie Land. Do you well, know you kind of said there earlier accessories. in the conversation. Uh, yeah, what Steve just said, the accessory. The accessory, yeah. But then when 
mm-hmm. Ken treats Barbie that way, it is obviously a catastrophic mistake. So although I'm, you know, a feminist and I significantly appreciate this film, I thought it was interesting how it was the, t- the the role was reversed a little bit, and I think actually that was smart because when you see the roles reversed, then I think that you know the men who drive out of the movie theater or the uh, the drive-in movie theater, um, they kind of need to see that, right? They need to see what it would look like from their their shoes or their perspective but it looks like but anything about it julie sorry to cut you off steve that's the thing that's burning in me so heavily it looks like the real world yeah but once um, ken gets to kindling you know and the guys take over and they're flexing and doing all that that's a metaphor of what toxic masculinity does the dude just stands there prop himself up and he's just, I'm so-and-so, I'm this, I'm that. And then the Barbies in Barbie land, and just like the sisters in the real world, so many of them have just been groomed that when they see these dudes flexing, they automatically fawn all over him, forgetting their identities, forgetting their accomplishments in many times, and being taught, even by the church, to lay all of that down and to center him and to uplift him. And I think the reason why those dudes walked out and drove out is because, um, number one, they got exposed. And number two, here's the real question. Why are they taught that they're supposed to be uplifted? Why are they taught that um, women are just supposed to fawn and just give themselves away in order to center and uplift him? Why is that? Why is that? Wow, that's it's so powerful, Chris. I really, really appreciate your perspective. Um, Steve, I have two questions for you. The first one is, is the patriarchy really all about horses? And the second one is, um, I, I'd like to know your perspective on Ken versus Alan. Oh, that's very interesting. I hadn't expected you to ask me that. Um Patriarchy is strangely tied to horses. Um, That's what I was figuring, right? It's a, I mean, horses create war. Horses, <laughs> horses are for hunting. and They're the ones that hold the men up. They do. They put us on pedestals. Um, John Wayne. You love that, John don't Wayne. you? Uh, me? I'm not even a horse guy. I like small puppies. I like, my my dogs are 10 pounds each when I get them. I'm, I'm not that guy. Um um yeah so okay so ken and alan that i didn't expect you to ask me that that's interesting because both men but both very different men hold very different i don't know roles in barbie land do they don't you think they're incredibly different no no well maybe i mean Who's the guy that beats up 10 construction workers? It's Alan. So he's got it in him. He was bred that way. He was bred a Ken for sure. (laughs) It's so funny because Kens aren't bred like that either. This is, I, I, Kens were bred to be quiet. Kens were bred to, to know their place. And it's only after he sniffs the real world 
that that Ken Beach Ken um, is all of a sudden like and comes alive with with machismo. The Mojo Dojo Casa House is maybe the greatest thing in any film in history. Uh, no, I'm kidding. Or at least the best name for it. 100%. But I mean, it, it's kind of, I feel bad, almost bad saying this, but Gosling is like my favorite thing about this movie because he commits so much. But I like what, uh, Jolie, what you said earlier, you said that um they're honest without going dark and the saddest part of this film for me is when they show up in the real world and barbie immediately experiences fear and ken immediately inflates like a balloon and he's like actually this place feels great i feel like i'm getting respect just by walking around and i like i laughed sadly um because that that is absolutely true it doesn't go dark it is totally honest um how does that compare with alan i mean alan is certainly in the middle but he's like he's more willing to listen to the women for sure and i i appreciated that but he does beat up 10 construction workers to protect the Barbies. Like there is that aspect of him. And I'm like, okay, so is he that different? I mean, I guess he is. He He's on the outside almost the entire film. Um, but unlike the Kens, it doesn't really affect him in the same way. Um, but I, what makes me happiest is what you said, julie because i was i was waiting for somebody to say like i've heard that this is an people say this is an anti-man film an anti-patriarchy film but it's not solely an anti-patriarchy film i don't understand how people draw that conclusion because when the barbies take over barbie land it reestablishes the previous balance of power that's not what fixes Barbie land. It's when they're all elevated. It's when he wears the I am Kenuff sweater in Barbie land. And no, it doesn't fix the real world at all. But at least in Barbie land, there's, there's an equity that comes out. And then Barbie, I mean, it, it, it still ends up being sort of top heavy Barbie land. But Barbie is like sick of both places at the end. She doesn't know what to do with herself. She's like, I don't fit here. This doesn't make sense to me. And I don't fit here. This doesn't make sense to me. And I, so I'm watching it and I'm like, I, I don't, I don't think it's a, it's definitely anti-patriarchy. Don't get me wrong, but it's not solely anti-patriarchy. It's soul anybody. Uh, like it's elevate elevate the individual and it's anti one group in power at all i think that's how i felt it's, that's like that's really the, shallow sorry i was just saying that's the that's the takeaway of the final barbie land um monologue that she gives to ken because because that's the other thing that guys in the patriarchy do we get called out on our crap and then all of a sudden, 
we shift to this hyper vulnerability and we kind of use and weaponize that as an attempt to try to win and smooth things over with the one whom we love. Yeah. And you totally see Ken doing that. He totally caves into his vulnerability and he just automatically expects Barbie to just fall over him, fall into his mm-hmm. arms, as you can see by his multiple attempts to try to get her to kiss him finally and reject it both times. And he's still sitting there confused. And she gives him the great, great word of encouragement as she stands up for herself at the end of the day. Yet yeah, it's just Barbie. It's Barbie. And he kind of goes into his, what about me? He was like, that's the thing. It's Barbie. And it's Ken. And it's all right. It's Ken. And he's like, you know what? You're right. It's Ken. And that's the thing that brings the balance. And the takeaway that I got watching it as a guy is, you know, so much that we've been groomed. And one of those grooming parts is that we're kind of not nothing unless we have a pretty girl standing by our side to love on and lavish and yada, yada, yada. But at the end of the day, if we don't have that ideal, all is not lost. We can stand alone and build our own world and have our own discoveries free from the toxicity and free from all of the other junk and just be great within ourselves and to rest in in and in the resting and the lodging of our own hearts with or without Barbie. That's why I see it. No, that's amazing. I loved that so much. It's not it's Barbie and Ken. It's Barbie and it's Ken. You yes. know, oh, that was so good. So good. It's so simple. But it's like, it's okay. You can be. You can be. You are. Period. Period. That's it. And it's and it's not tied to me. Yeah. Absolutely. I can't, I can't be your be all end all. And so many dudes have heard that in breakup sessions in real life. <laughs> Which is another, which is reason number nine ninety nine why those cars left. Yeah, yeah. But what I was gonna say earlier is it's definitely a shallow view to just say, "Oh, the movie is just down with men, and ugh, I want nothing to do with it." Oh my gosh, it's just so much deeper than that, and there's so much more to it. Obviously, that's you know, a, not down with men, but anti patriarchy and and feminism and whatnot is is the basis of it. Oh, there's just always so much more and that's amazing i um you know i want to kind of go back to when we were talking about the mattel building and how they portrayed um the founder of mattel uh i'm gonna get her name again i'm so sorry i said at the beginning but i forgot ruth handler and how ruth handler was just sort of in a random room in the mattel building um and then somebody mentioned at the end that, oh, her ghost hangs out here. Um, I thought that was really, really interesting. How did you guys feel about Ruth's involvement in the film? I have a question before we answer that. Was Ruth Handler 
first of all, is she still alive? And second of all, was she the woman on the bench? The woman on the bench was another person. Yeah. Ruth is not still alive in real life. Okay. I wondered that because I, I didn't know whether or not she was alive. And obviously Rhea Perlman is playing her in this. But I thought, oh, are they like, who are they sneaking into a cameo here? Why is that woman on the bench important? It, it was the costume designer. Really? Yeah. Okay. Okay. But I'm wondering if because um, Margot Robbie is stereotypical Barbie, she's like the stereotypical thin, tall, blonde, young, and then she's looking into the face of an aged woman, just a normal woman waiting for the bus or whatever it was. Um, so I'm wondering if it, if perhaps it was like a, I don't know, some sort of moment that, that came to her. That came to Margot Robbie? Yeah, that came to Barbie. She's in the real world and she's kind of confused and feeling some type of way. And then she sees this really nice looking woman and she doesn't look like her. I, I, I don't know. I, I thought it was kind of a special She moment. affirms her beauty, right? Yeah. I think that line was, you're beautiful. I may be getting it wrong. I'm trying to remember what that line was. I've seen too many sci-fi movies. What I half expected to happen was that it was going to turn out that it was Margot Robbie. Uh, so like after, so at the end of the movie, there was like some time loop and. Uh, she... Oh my gosh. Cause she does end up going to the real world at the end and becoming human. So she's going to age. Stop it right now. I'm blowing your mind. You gotta, you gotta throw a trademark on that idea. For the sequel, for the sequel, though it's all connected. It's all connected. From patriarchy to uh, time travel, it makes so much sense to me. <laughs> Jolie, did you want to? Uh, did you have any comments about old Ruth? Yeah, um, I yeah, I just love that they included her vision for Barbie in the film. Um, I, and I, I really do think that is kind of the core of the film, that they characterized Barbie off of almost like the ideals that Ruth Handler had about creating a doll that represented an adult woman, not a baby, like a little doll, so girls could only play mother, they could play many different things or, or whatever they could imagine, whatever they wanted to, to play. Um, uh, and envisioning an adult woman, um, I really think that's so core to the film itself. So I'm really glad that they um, highlighted her her vision for that. Um, I thought uh, it was very sweet. Like I liked that kind of whimsical interactions we have with um, Ruth Handler. I, I love that line. Like, oh, her ghost holds an office on the 17th floor. <laughs> it's so whimsical. Um, and again, very playful, very imaginative. But I think that bringing that ideal, that very like innocent and raw ideal of what Barbie was or could be was so core to the film and the characterization of Barbie, the character. I give um, Greta Gerwig and Noah Baumbach a lot of uh, credit. And I also give Margot Robbie a lot of credit for how she played, portrayed stereotypical Barbie. Um, I feel like that role could have been approached in different ways if it were in the hands of others. Um, and yet they portrayed her in this very um, 
very like gentle, very sensitive, kind of um, almost like innocent and, and wide-eyed way when she comes to the real world. And when she sees that woman waiting at the bus stop, she's obviously coming from Barbie world where everyone looks a certain type of way, even if there is diversity, everyone's, you know, young and thin and what have you. Um, she sees uh, an older woman who's so beautiful and she she's like in awe of this beauty. And she says, oh, you are so beautiful. And the woman says, I know it and laughs. And I just think that's, it's one of my favorite moments in the film. It's so pure and so lighthearted, um, but so beautiful that, um, you know, Barbie coming from her world has maybe never seen someone that looked like that before. And she had never been taught as we are in the real world to fear aging or to see it as lesser than or to idolize youth and whatnot, um, which is a very North American kind of cultural thing. But um, she hadn't been taught those things yet. So when she saw this woman, she could just genuinely and truthfully see the, the, her beauty. Um, and I, I really loved that moment between them. That's amazing. So as an aside, that's kind of all I had in terms of like questions and talking points. Was there anything else you guys wanted to talk about? Can we cover it? Uh, yeah, I'm good. Yeah. Can we talk about Kate McKinnon's weird mm. Oh my gosh, how oh, yeah. could we forget Kate McKinnon? <laughs> I all right. love Kate McKinnon. And sorry, I know it's late, so we don't need to talk very long, but I just think no. it would, she, her, the, that character was so interesting and such, like, very much, um, like a, a pivotal character in the film as presenting or sort of like opening people's eyes to alternatives and opening people's eyes to like freedom and individualism. Like, oh, you know, you don't just have to live this one way that everything has always been in Barbie land. There's other, there's other ways of being and you can see that and you can embrace it. Um, yeah, I just, I, I think Kate McKinnon's so funny and I thought she was so great in that role. No, she was perfect. You know what she, the, I don't know. I don't think it was embraced right off the bat. It was like, she was the weird lady up on the hill. She was kind of yeah. like the Edward Scissorhands, you know what I mean? Um, but there was certainly um, a wisdom to her character and that everybody was kind of going to her for. And it obviously helped sort of save Barbie land at the end of the day. Um, but it was a fascinating character, very fun. Love like the splits and the flips, so fun. Yeah, you know, just to play off what you said, Jules, um, the ones who are pushed to the fringes are the ones with the greatest perspective in both in both sides, because she is supposed to be one of them, mm -hmm. but she doesn't look like them. She's broken. Push her aside. The Kens pushed aside because they don't matter in the real world. They show you the opposite. They show you the opposite pushed aside, pushed aside. We're in power. Men's are, men in power push aside the women. Um, but once people, the, the people who are pushed on the fringes are the ones that have the perspective and see where the problems are because they're, they're victims of it. Mm -hmm. yeah. And there's an underlying conversation about perfectionism mm -hmm. as well with the Barbie, with the Barbie world. It's, 
uh, everything is the same. Everything is great every day. You know, Barbie goes through the same routine. It's this, it's that. And then all of a sudden, you know, her waffle is burnt. The water is cold, all that kind of stuff. So that was kind of a fascinating aspect as well. Um, and how, how, you know, when things start to get a little wonky or emotions start to get involved, some of the perfectionism, is it my life? Emotions are getting involved. Perfectionism out the window. I don't know. Anyway, I'm just kidding. <laughs> We're so relatable. <laughs> right. I am Kate McKinnon. <laughs> Where's a marker? I'm going to start drawing on my face. I'm just kidding. <laughs> you have to be able to put one leg straight up in the air. Uh, well, I'm going to need a few months to work <laughs> on that one, but I'll try. For the sequel. Be ready when the sequel comes. Okay. As long as I can be one of the time travelers, it's got to be in my contract. <laughs> <laughs> oh my gosh. Everyone, I am loving this conversation, but I want to do a screen it or skip it. Do we still do that? Yeah, yeah we still do it. Rock on. Steve. Oh, screen it. I don't know what you're, what you're doing with yourself if you're not. And if you're going, I was saying this, uh, with our Oppenheimer podcast, which hasn't aired yet. Um, there's some, there's some great films in theaters right now. And I love, we haven't even talked about Barbenheimer. Has there <laughs> ever been a greater counter-programming example than Barbie and Oppenheimer a film which uh, they're they're like the yin and yang of yeah. filmmaking and mm -hmm. even though from everything about them is a polar opposite from their their style to their message um to everything about it is but absolutely barbie is a is a screen it there's there's no question what about julie uh, screen it, absolutely screen it. Go see it in a theater if you can. Um, if not, if you have to wait until it, it comes out for rental or on a streaming service, please, please watch it. It is so fun, but it's also real and it's and it's honest. Um, but yeah, it's at the very least, it's it's such a creative script. It's such a creative idea uh, being brought to life. Um, and there's a massive musical number, which we don't get enough of in Hollywood nowadays. So um, yeah, I think it's a, a film that um, is fun to watch. Uh, and the reason why I say see it in a theater if you can or a drive-in is it's a great film to watch uh, with a collective audience around you. Um, the uh, my sister and I saw it in theaters and we could hear people laughing. We could hear people gasping. We could hear people kind of like cringing or crying. Um, everyone left the theater. Everyone was chatting with people we didn't even know. We were all chatting after as we're walking out. Like that's the beauty of, of the cinematic or like the theatrical experience. So if you can get to see it in a theater or drive-in, I would definitely encourage you to do so. But regardless, um, definitely watch it, screen it. Um, and yeah, for... For some folks out there, there might be some things that feel a little uncomfortable to watch in terms of, you know, how honest it is about gender or, um, you know, cultural and social and political um, climates, you know, but I think it's important sometimes to kind of sit with that discomfort and uh, maybe question question why it's uncomfortable, what makes it uncomfortable, um, but ultimately it's, it's a really, really um, 
fun time at the movies. Nice. What about you, Chris? Screen it, especially guys, and leave your fragile egos at the door. Because mm. they're going to get burned if you bring them in the theater with you. What do we have left, Chris? How do what 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 do we have left if we leave our You're listening you? ears because America Ferrara oh. is going to preach a sermon better than ninety nine percent of pastors would on any given Sunday. Ooh, Chris. Yeah, I see. truth bombs. Which brings us back to Oppenheimer. Honestly, it is so fitting that it's Barbie and Oppenheimer like battling at the box office. Oh my gosh. Like, did they do this on purpose? Or is this just a sick joke that the universe is playing on? It's hilarious. It's- uh, when the strike is over, you're probably going to see derivatives of it, which is going to end up becoming the very best thing for movie theaters to stay in business. Hmm. Like everybody's going to have their polar opposite sci-fi mixed with their big comedy opening on the same weekend and it's going to be you know because at the end of the day even though there's there's two strikes going on studios win movie theaters win um the reports are that movie theaters that weekend saw some of the largest attendances that they have seen in you know years um that weekend ended up being the fourth highest box office recorded weekend in history as they those top two films and the other top 10 got over 300 million dollars jeez it's so fascinating the box office like the people people are like paid a yearly wage to figure out what day to release a movie on i bet it's so I wild wish i had that job but yeah that's another podcast how do we get that job <laughs> too funny i mean obviously i'm on the screen it side as well i thought it was really fun in the theaters too uh, there was somebody beside me who was just like jamming out in their seat the the score the soundtrack is really cool too um it was really fun i liked it a lot and don't like forget the fact that it's barbie don't be a jerk you know i don't care if you're a man go watch barbie who cares everybody in the theater is gonna think you're cool too so shut up I just heard Julie say, I don't care if you're a man. That's all I heard. That's it. The line is drawn. Yeah, I don't care if you're a man. Take that step and put it on YouTube in a continuous loop. Screenfish is woke and not Christian. Boycott, boycott, boycott. Oh my gosh. Well, that'll be the thumbnail. It'll just be like my face with, I don't care if you're a man. You're you're a meme. (laughs) I'm a total meme. Oh gosh, I'm scared now. Steve, what are you doing to me? I'm memeing you. Okay, fair enough. Well, oh my gosh, this has been so cool. Thank you guys so much. Steve, thank you for letting me take over. Uh, thank you for doing know. it. You're welcome. You're great, Jules. Thank you. Thank you.